Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot, and I will be your host for today's episode. I am coming to you today from my home near Blaine Lake, Saskatchewan on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis. So today I'm really excited about this conversation because it is an organization and an individual who I know very little about. So I will be learning um, as we go through this process as well, which is one of my favorite things about this podcast. So today I have with me Elizabeth Bacoli, and she is the volunteer coordinator and co-founder of the One School, One Farm Shelter Belt Project. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks for being here today. No problem. Thank you. So Elizabeth, just to start us off, if you don't mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about who you are, um, what you do, and what led you um, to this work. Okay, yeah. So I am, uh, through edu- by education, I'm a biologist. Through my work, I'm mostly an educator and um, gardener. Um, and so I spend most of my time outside um, on my own or with children. <laughs> and so um, I've had a lot of time to think about um, just like the, the different crises that we're in and different ways to bring about solutions. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very solution-based. I think as a, as a youth, I was very like, I need to learn all the problems. I need to know all the problems. And it became very depressing, very fast. And, um, and so now as an, as an educator and a, and a mother and person in the community, I'm, I'm just totally solutions-based. I won't teach youth about anything unless I have some ideas of solutions they could get their hands onto right away. Very cool. Yeah, I love that. I I think um, similarly. I I know a lot of young people, especially, uh, feel overwhelmed by the information and and not sure what they can do about it right and so that's actually one of the reasons um, and one of the things I think has come from this podcast is folks sharing folks from a variety of different backgrounds um, within sort of this broader field of sustainability um, you know giving tips and sharing thoughts about you know how how is each of us and our unique skills and passions and areas of interest how does it fit into making change in this space so that's um this is great. This is a perfect fitting conversation. Um, so I have to be honest, Elizabeth, I had not heard um, of the One School, One Farm Shelter Belt project. Um, so if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about what that project is, um, you know, how it works and and how that came to be as well. Yeah, no problem. So um I'm not surprised you haven't heard of it because we're still relatively new and we haven't actually had a public launch yet because we were we were hoping to do that last year and then COVID hit. And so <laughs> we, we <laughs> yeah, so the backstory on it um, is 
Um, it's interesting and it's a little bit vulnerable for me to talk about, but I will anyway. So um, I was in ceremony with um, some family and friends and um, and it just like kind of came to me like like a flash of lightning, I guess you could say, like a lot of people say. And so um, just the whole like the whole word, like the whole title of the project and how how the youth and the and the land stewards would interact and how that would help um, bridge like this really growing gap between urban and rural people on the prairies. Um, and just the the, num- the number of ways it would it would help the community in terms of um, like building that community, building resilience, um, uh, building biodiversity, carbon sequestration potentials, soil health, like it all was just like in an instant I could see it. And so I felt a really, really big responsibility to bring people together who were like-minded. And I just invited people to my house. You know, this is how things happen in a grassroots way, right? I just said, I'm going to feed whoever comes here (laughs) and sits with me and listens to this crazy idea. And um, from that time on, we built this absolutely fabulous, humbling board of, of truly amazing educators and scientists and, um, and just really passionate individuals. And so I feel like on our board, there's so much wisdom that if I ever feel like <clears throat> stumped on anything, I can just go to them and ask for advice. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, um, now we are, so we, um, we registered as a nonprofit in 2019 and we ran our first, um, our first pilot projects last spring. But throughout the whole year, like even during COVID, um, the land steward that we had two pilot projects going. So the two land stewards we were working with were Grovenland Farm, which is a regenerative farm uh, near Lanigan, and Restoring 71, which is a a restoration project just um, west of the city in Saskatoon. Um, And so... Uh, Grovenland partnered with Victoria School, uh, the grade six, seven class. And um, so they they would visit virtually, right? So they got a virtual kind of tour of the farm and uh, the land stewards there, Lisa and Ben, they shared what they needed for tree cover. So they were most interested in an eco buffer. So um, our organization um, really supports the idea of even though we're called shelter belt project that's mostly because most people understand what a shelter belt is um but it's really like an eco buffer or prairie strip that we're we are promoting so basically a shelter belt that's really diverse and that um provides for a lot of different things so whether it's more food or lumber or um habitat uh pollinator support you know just everything that you need um in that space um, so uh, Victoria School and Grovenland uh, had a great experience. The kids, uh, well, based on the the teacher's kind of ability to let the kids design how they wanted the process to look, the kids chose to use Minecraft to design their eco buffer or shelter belt. 
And so they got pretty into it, right? Because kids like that. And they they had to research like each species they were choosing. And it was awesome. And then they did this big presentation to the land stewards and the land stewards like chose which design they liked best. And then we had planting day and planting day was fantastic. Um, I was able to go for that one. And there were a lot of side offshoots that I didn't really um, anticipate would happen. But um, one of the parents was really involved with a local grocer and restaurant here. So he came out to check out the farm and see, you know, if, if they would like to start buying from that farm particularly. And so I don't, it was, it was really good. All of this, this great community building and, and local produce, <laughs> product building was happening. And the kids at the end of the day, even though it was, it was hot and they worked so hard, they were just thanking me. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> you're welcome for working so hard all day um but it just goes to show like kids just really they want to be part of it they don't want they know about what's going on you know they don't want to sit in their desks and learn more about what's happening they want to be out there and be you know feeling like they're part of something yeah oh this is I love this this is so great I yeah, absolutely. I think, and and even you know, youth for sure, but even us as as adults, like I think, um, you know, knowing what's going on, and and I always I always struggle with this, wanting to make sure I'm engaged and know every all of the issues and know what's happening, and and um, it induces a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, you know, concern and worry, and not that that's bad. Like, I think it's important to know what's going on. Um, but as you were talking about, and, and especially with this program and with youth, like having that tangible hands-on approach um, to, to doing something about it is, is just so meaningful. And um, you spoke about this a little bit, but that, you know, the, the rural urban divide and the, the lack of understanding there and and that being such a, a key thing as well I feel um you know I feel very fortunate to have grown up um you know on a farm and in, in agriculture in southeastern Saskatchewan and I remember um moving to BC uh, to do my undergraduate in an undergraduate degree in environmental science and um you know, at the time I was just so ready to get away from, you know, small town, rural life, um, and didn't necessarily think I would ever be back. And it's interesting because as soon as I, uh, as soon as I started to learn a little bit more about, you know, the, 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 that interaction and the need for, for, uh, you know, agriculture and, and especially like small scale, sustainable agriculture to be a part of this like larger environmental movement. Um, anyways, long-winded story, but I think that's, you know, that connection to um, rural life and access to, to doing hands-on things in an agricultural or farm um, and regenerative setting is, is something that a lot of youth in the city don't get the opportunity to do. And learning about it in a textbook is never going to is never going to be the same. Like it's not the same thing. And yet, like you said, within even 15 minutes of Saskatoon, there's so many opportunities for youth to be like active participants in, um, 
in regenerative ag and meet local farmers and understand who they are and what they care about and, and all of those kinds of things. So yeah, this is amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And uh, um, I guess I didn't mention much about the second pilot project. Um, they, they did amazing too. So the outdoor school at Walter Murray um, and the grade and uh, Mr. Thorstad's grade nine class, they, um, so we, we gave them some funds to work with and they chose to buy growing equipment. So um, we gave them a bit of a primer on how to start native seeds, like native flower seeds and stuff and grasses. And, and they, yeah, with all their equipment, they, they started their nursery really early. I think it was like February possibly. And, uh, so the, their plants were ready to plant out, um, in the spring by the time they went to restoring 71. So that was like, that is so, it's so unbelievably helpful, right? Because, there's not a lot of native plant growers around and, and it's costly like for a, a land steward to do that on their own. Right. Mm. Um, so, so we want to be able to help out in that way. So it's not a burden. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's incredible. I think about this often. Um, my, my husband and I have, have, we keep bees, we have honeybees and um, we didn't prior to last year. And now it's kind of this growing passion of ours, but um, especially of my husband's, but um, wow. Do you ever become like so hyper-conscious of um, native species and when things are flowering and just this, like this way that the native plants have themselves set up in such a way that they produce like there's flowers all year long like all season long right and you realize when you don't have those native species uh around and available how quickly there is no flowering plants like in you know the more you get into um we're lucky we live very close to to the forest it's mostly forest here and so they have access to all these you know um native flowers in the forest but yeah we've done a quite a lot of research of okay you know where would we find seed okay where would we okay maybe we should plant some different patches throughout our property of different native species of flowering plants that focus on different season or different areas throughout the season where we need more flowers and yeah finding a finding that information can be really challenging but then finding like where would we buy these plants or where would we get the seeds or where would we like it's just not as accessible as say you know if I need a, a seed for my garden I there's a plethora of places to buy garden seeds um but much less out there when it comes to like native species and restoring a piece of land with with native plants it's much harder to get definitely and yeah and actually in my other hat like I, I run a business basically um helping people do that right so I can consult with you if you like <laughs> but I have like a 15 page document I give to my clients that helps them with all of that um but with with that said though like it's taking those skills so each of the board members kind of takes their their skills and, and knowledge in that way and kind of just throws it into into this work because yeah like you said like people people don't really know like we're not we're not quite there with ecological literacy yet like in in Saskatchewan anyway like we have a ways to go but I think that's because there's such little prairie left right so because there's such little prairie left people don't often have that opportunity to learn even what is a native plant and what's not a native plant right and not just think of it all as weeds <laughs> 
yeah. yeah, absolutely. Even it's so funny talking about weeds. Like, obviously, when there's thistles in my garden, which there is often out here, um, I, you know, I'm picking thistles and we, we live on a, a tiny little lake and, and there was a bunch of thistles growing uh, on our beach. And I, I was so tempted to rip them out because I hate stepping on them. Uh, it hurts. And, but then I realized, you know, thistles are a late flowering species. Like they're all flowering right now. And there's literally nothing else flowering a little bit of goldenrod, I guess. But um, I left the, I left the thistles despite you know, not wanting to step on them. And then I was actually out there yesterday and noticed how many bees are in that patch of thistles. And it's quite a large patch of thistles. Like I'm going to pick them once they're done flowering. Um, but, you know, even things like that, it's like, yes, the thistles are, they're, you know, a little bit annoying. They're not the most beautiful plant in the world for sure. Um, but mm-hmm. they're serving this like ecosystem purpose that again, if we didn't have bees, even though there's tons of native bees that also rely on those thistles, I probably would have just picked them, you know, but having that like conscious understanding of, of this ecosystem need for that plant, it's like, okay, I can, I can live with looking at this thistle. It's no big deal. And it's, you know, you just see it in such a different way when you're connected to that, that the processes that are larger than just, oh, this weed is frustrating to look at. Totally. I was taking pictures of even like pollinators on leafy spurge, which is one of the more hated noxious weeds. And I don't know, I don't, I don't stress about them too much. Like I want to bring in and balance out the native species. Um, But I think uh, like a lot of the introduced plants that we consider noxious are also serving a purpose. I just don't, I don't know if a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people see it that way, right? Because we're such an agricultural province. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, nature Nature is doing more than we know all the time. <laughs> and I think often it's like best if we're just like, okay, well, maybe we can help out here. We'll add some diversity there, you know, but I, I don't know. I think nature has a bit of, more of a plan than we often anticipate. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And having that, that, that connection and awareness really helps with that. I think about my, even my childhood, I, you know, I grew up um, and and still do um, doing a lot of of hunting and I grew up in a family that, um, you know, that was like our main source of, of protein was wild meat. And um, I knew so much more than uh, even at a super young age, I knew a lot more about habitat and different plants and how they interacted because of being someone who really, really cared about the deer. And my dad is still, you know, even though he's in agriculture and large scale, scale agriculture, he's still so cognizant of like the need for the bush, the need for prairie, the need for like, oh, this wild clover that's growing in this wetland, like the deer will need that when it's minus 40, like they will paw for that. That's a super important resource. And so um, similar to what you're talking about with this program, I think if you don't have that, you know, that lived experience and that connection to like what you're seeing and how it interacts with this broader ecosystem, why would you care about it? Like, why would you care about that one little plant, that one area of bush or whatever, right? And so having that opportunity as a young person to connect with that, I think, like, what you're doing is shaping those youth, like, 
like that changes their whole life as far as I'm concerned. Like it's just, it's really powerful. Well, with, with COVID, um, we've found that there's just been a complete spike in outdoor education, right? Like people that weren't comfortable with it before are trying it because they're tired of being stuck in one place, right? <laughs> so you can do you can do more outside than um, a lot of educators realize. And so, um, yeah, as an educator, and I also, I work with the public school division here in Saskatoon at a place called uh, Brightwater Science Environment and Indigenous Learning Centre. And so we really, really support teachers in, in getting their kids outside. And, and you can connect it to curriculum really easily, right? You can cr- connect almost anything to curriculum, but also just taking those moments that you, you don't realize could be connected to curriculum, like um, how active citizenship could be learned through just going out and sitting in the trees for a while, right? And letting, letting the kids just process things that they've learned and just like be there and be quiet, right? Because we, we need a lot of that time, you know, to process what we're learning. And sometimes we learn things that aren't anticipated, right? When we're just sitting out in nature and watching. Yeah. Yeah. Observation and quietness and, and, not needing to be stimulated by something, right? Like even in schools now compared to, you know, when I was in high school and middle school, um, just like, you know, screen time has increased exponentially. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's great that there's access to, you know, watching videos and tutorials and all these kinds of things as a part of school. But again, it's like this, this flicker of, of brain stimulation that's so different from like being in an, in a particular place and sitting there and for some kids probably being bored, but like there's lots of amazing yeah. things creatively that come from boredom. Like that's a fact. <laughs> so, um, and so like cre- creating those opportunities for young people, I think is, um, is really special. And even in the moment for those that may not appreciate it in that moment, I think, will will appreciate it like it's something that's yeah it's not something they get to do as much anymore so yeah Yeah. definitely (laughs) so Elizabeth I'm I'm curious um so you started in 2019 it's 2021 um what's next are you able to share uh, a little bit about like any upcoming projects or things you guys are excited about um yeah just what's next um so Next is our AGM. Um, so we're having a, a small, but it keeps growing, a small but growing gathering um, at one of the board members' acreages um, just to have all of the partners meet. So we have potentially seven projects coming up this year. Um, so seven different land stewards, seven different schools or teachers. Um, it's one school, one farm, but it's really one teacher, one farm, because um, anyone in education realizes, right, it's the it's the teachers themselves that carry any project, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we are hoping, we have lots that haven't met, yet. well, lots that haven't met, no, we only have a couple that haven't met yet. Um, so we kind of feel like this, like, like dating app <laughs> kind of for, for teachers and, and land stewards. 
Um, but we're very excited um, for the projects that are coming up. I don't know if I can uh, mention them exactly yet because, uh, but I can say that uh, they are spreading out further from the Saskatoon area. So we are as far south as Crake and as far north as Borden. And um, we just kind of hope to keep spreading out over time uh, with, but we need to build capacity. Right now we don't have any employees. And as a volunteer coordinator um, with all the other hats I have, <laughs> it's starting to get a little jumbled in my brain sometimes, but it's, I'm really excited about it. So uh, that maintains my enthusiasm. And um, the connections that are coming forward are for a variety of things. So one of the land stewards is in an area that's been in drought for so long, they can't grow any trees. And so um, we're helping them figure out how they can heal their soil. Like their soil, it's almost like it's, it's like it would have been right after the dirty thirties. Like there just doesn't seem to be any topsoil, you know? And so like building, learning about how to build topsoil and maintain moisture um, through, you know, mulching techniques and stuff like that. Uh, so there's, there's a lot, a lot to, um, to teach, to learn together, a lot of opportunities for students to learn about specifically about like the water cycle. And I know this, this might be a tangent from what you asked me, but this is kind of where the education piece will be going. So um, we're we're in a drought, right? We're in a we're in a terrible drought. I'm really worried about the plants that we planted in the spring, and I'm I'm anticipating hearing all about that at our AGM about how everything did. Um, and I I've heard, and this might seem controversial to say, but I, I heard a, a farmer say on the news like, "Well, we can't make rain," and I mean, yeah, we can't necessarily make rain, but we often cause the ecological situation where rain will stop, right? Like through a lot of our practices, once we remove all the perennial photosynthesis from the system, we stop the evapotranspiration, right? Which on the prairies is most of our water that goes back up to the sky to make rain, right? Um, and so like desertification and uh, how it happens, I think is one of the most important lessons of our time. And just that connection of green living plants with the water cycle. And most of my students that I've had, they don't realize that, that plants make rain. Like that is, that is lost somehow, even though they learned the big word evapotranspiration, it just, it's lost on them how important that part of the cycle is. And so now like in Saskatchewan, having this trend of removing shelter belts, right? Because the size of the machinery being too big. Um, me that that's actually very very frightening to me on an, in a deep kind of ecological way. I just can see like this is going to just increase our experience of drought over time, mm-hmm. and so um, so it's really important I think that students understand that. And so going forward, um, we're hoping to to really build the capacity of the prairies, I guess to to be resi- more resilient. When it comes to, you know, drought and, and dealing with, with climate change, like we don't, we don't know what's going to be happening, right? All the, like from the reports coming out this year, how the 
how this year has been worse than the models even predicted. So I think um, I'm kind of on board with, with uh, some of Seth Klein's uh, suggestions. He, he wrote a book called The Good War, right? And I mean, I'm not a war type person, <laughs> but um, I like the suggestions that he made when it comes to like having that kind of energy and addressing this. Like it's an actual crisis, like you're mobilizing everyone and everything to deal with it. And so we're hoping eventually, and hopefully this year, actually, we're going to get our charity status and receive the funding we need to be able to hire staff, potentially start nurseries, right? Um, Or if we're not starting nurseries, at least supporting other nurseries that are starting. And this is something, if you and your husband love plants and have space, (laughs) it's something you guys can consider. Yeah. Because I kind of dream of having like, because right now I get most of my plants for my other business from Alberta and Manitoba, right? Um, And get them shipped here. Um, And so I would really love to have nurseries that aren't necessarily competing with each other, but I'd be like, okay, can you guys grow like these 12 species really well, or these, you know, 20 species really well, and you guys grow these 20 species really well. And like between all the, all the work that's needed with highways and, um, you know, oil restoration work sites and stuff, there would be more than enough um, in the need in the marketplace for that. So now we're having a total other conversation. I'm just like, yeah, start a nursery. <laughs> no, this is, that's so great because actually one of the questions I was going to ask, but I will, I leave it for another day between just yourself and myself was like, you know, as someone who is a landowner, land steward and, and has the space and also interest in this stuff. I was curious about how, you know, what the future looks like. And I'm sure this is kind of going to be evolving as you guys um, move forward and grow and things like that. But um, yeah, definitely keep us in mind because this is an area where, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're very interested and, um, and thinking about ways that, you know, we can participate and, and do these kinds of things with the space that we have. So yeah. Um, very cool. And thanks for, thank you, Elizabeth, for sharing all of that. I think, um, you know, even just connecting people to the fact that this type of project is, is, you know, happening and going on. And um, it's another way that potentially folks can get involved. And, um, you know, I, I know I, I quite a few, I feel like, um, you know, rural living folks who are interested in this type of stuff and don't necessarily know what's going on. So, um, so this is great. Um, so just as a way to to wrap up, how how can people find you? Like, what is the best way for them to get connected with you and and learn more about this project? Yeah, so if if people want to either volunteer or donate or become a teacher or land steward in the program, they could email uh, one school one farm at gmail.com. Um, or they could call or text me uh, at 306-291-3877. And they can check out our website if they just want to like look at who we are, uh, com. Awesome. This is great. I'll make sure to add those things into the show notes for this episode. So folks 
know where to go and can reach you and, and learn more. But thank you so much, Elizabeth, for taking the time to, to be with me today and, and share all of this. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Nice to meet you. And thanks so much. for tuning into this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.